Marxism and the communism will always be appealing to a lot of people because it gives you this utopia uh, vision that uh, everything will be fixed, that the world is, is full of oppression and uh, full of exploitation, and we have something else that can fix the problem. But I think just forget about uh, economics or culture, whatever. The best way to understand communism and Marxism is it is all about power. It is about totalitarianism. Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. We've got a special guest today, author and uh, communism survivor. Uh, is it Z Van Fleet? Is it Z? It's always Z, right? Z. Chi? With like C-H-I yeah. sound in American? S-H-E, kind of like a, yeah, pronoun, okay. my pronoun. We are, t- we're just terrible. English is the most difficult language to translate real languages into, to be honest. No, no, actually English is good. It's you think so? Easy. Yes. Once you try Chinese, you will agree with me. Well, which Chinese are we talking about? Cantonese or Mandarin or like no, simplified? Mandarin. Okay. Mandarin. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're not here to talk about language, although it probably no. will come up at some point. We're talking um, about communism. Yeah. So we don't like communism. Um, no. And you know, it's it. You know, the funniest thing to me, and it's something that's kind of pervasive in the the national discourse, maybe in the Western discourse these days, are people without any experience with a particular thing, thinking that they're experts on it. So when, like, like if if. <laughs> If somebody had read a book about a restaurant and then somebody else had gone to that restaurant, I would probably take the latter person's opinion on how quality the food is, right? And if somebody had actually lived under communism, I think I might pay a little bit more attention to them because I don't see a whole lot of people who were in communist countries who escaped who now are proselytizers for communism, right? Yes, this is a very common thing, and it's uh, it's a really... Uh, um it's very alarming that so many people that believe that they know better than people who survived uh, the actual communism and then they they feel like they can do better this time so they were not done correctly before but they can fix it they can make it really work right yeah isn't that that um, what what do you think that is just naivety or hubris you know it's, it's brainwash it's actually indoctrination and so, and you said some people just read the book and believe in it, but there are a lot of books, a lot of books, including the book that, that I just written to tell them how bad it is. So it is indoctrination. It's absolute indoctrination from the early age um, in our educational system, in the media, in our entertainment, in Hollywood, they all tell them something that is not true, that Marxism and uh, uh, communism is absolutely evil. They did not tell them that. And where did where did all this start? Like from your perspective, I, I know that you're uh, you, you were you were there in the in the Cultural Revolution in China, but yes. like in the West, <sighs> Marxism has been like um, kind of the the uh, the alternative, I guess, to some degree for the um, what, what, how would you put this? Just you know how how corporations can be dicks as well to be honest mm-hmm. you know what i mean like it's there, there's two sides of the same coin there what you know with corporate and government and how they can oppress people in, in some situations but it seems like we have this predilection as human beings 
to when something's wrong to go as far in the opposite direction as we possibly can instead of just finding out what's reasonable and doing that. Yeah. A communism co coming to being because it is it was against capitalism. So and, and that's in the uh, um, the uh, uh, the twentieth century that uh, um, that this become something that a lot of people believe that can replace ca capitalism, especially in the Karl Marx time. That the and he saw this uh, um, proletarian. The landless, the only choice they had is to work in the factory. Mm. And he believed that they were exploited, that the system is evil. The system will be destroyed by the rising uh, proletariat. But it did not come true because capitalism actually created wealth then mm. created middle class. And so that did not come true. So that's part one of the story. But now we are not, we are not here um, facing the proletarian uh, rise up against the capitalism system. We are experiencing something different. We are experiencing the cultural Marxism. Yeah, the, the, so the, two very different things, economic and cultural, for sure. Um, I want to stick on the economic part for just a second because I think it's helpful mm -hmm. in understanding the real motivations. You know, there's an old saying in uh, 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 English literature that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I don't know if you've heard that particular yes, phrase before. Yes, yeah. But it's, you know, anytime somebody shows up with a too-good-to-be-true solution to a problem, almost invariably they're trying to take advantage of you, right, to extract your labor, yeah. your wealth, or whatever it is, mm -hmm. right, just to press you generally. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and certainly economic Marxism has... has <laughs> it, it's it's been shown pretty uh, handily that it's nonsense, right? It just doesn't work. That that kind of unmotivated uh, workforce with labor constantly extracted from them just doesn't work. Um, and uh, you know the proof is in the pudding. China has not become more economically Marxist over the years. They've become more capitalist, right? Um, quite a bit so, as a matter of fact. So. Uh, but then I look at, at our country in the West here in, in America, United States, and it's like, it seems like our form of capitalism is trending too far in the other direction in the same way that, you know, Marxism did from capitalism earlier uh, in mm -hmm. the in the late maybe 19th century. And we're getting back to some, some it, it seems like a, just a very sophisticated form of feudalism where there's still, you know, wealthy and powerful people, maybe corporations that are taking advantage of and extracting labor and wealth from people. And I wonder, you know, because if, we, if we're going to criticize Marxism for going in the opposite direction, I feel like we need to be careful that we don't overcorrect in the other one, right? Yeah, yeah, you're talking about uh, economics, which mm. is not really um, uh, the focus of my book. Sure. My book is culture, but I can tell you that uh, uh, Marxism and communism will always be appealing to a lot of people because it gives you this utopia uh, vision that uh, everything will be fixed, that the world is, is full of oppression and uh, full of exploitation, and we have something else that can fix the problem. But I think just forget about uh, economics or culture, whatever. The best way to understand communism and Marxism is it is all about power. It is about totalitarianism. It's about control. And so that's why uh, it did not like a capitalism. Capitalism basically is um, a system that gave you choice. You have the choice 
not to uh, work for um, a evil capitalist. Right? You have the choice mm. to have your own business. That is absent in communist system. The government, the state controls everything. And so the end, end result is really is it's everyone were equally oppressed. Mm. Everyone was equally miserable and uh, and poor. That's the end result of capitalism, uh, of communism. And uh, people need to understand it. Yeah, I agree. That's that's a really good point. Um, it is about power ultimately, and it's you know leveraging about, about le- leveraging yeah. people's you know fears typically, right? Like, well, or desire, yeah, or desire, or, or greed. Mm-hmm. This time I say greed of people who want others or want their neighbors' stuff. Mm-hmm. That is the human greed that capitalism, that uh, communism capital capitalize on that and say, I will give you that. You follow me. I will get your neighbor's stuff and give it to you. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely going on here in the States right now, for sure. Yeah. I want to I want to jump back to the cultural revolution since we're talking about cultural Marxism. Can you can you give me a sense of what it was like in China before the cult, the Maoist revolution began and then kind of your experience as it went along? I mean, because it was uh, a lot of brutal things happened, but it seemed like they happened in phases. And a lot of people, you know, criticized Mao for allowing famines that killed 50, 60 million people, however many, uh, and whether yeah. whether those were intentional or not. I mean, it's hard to say from, from just reading books, because who knows, right? Uh, but yeah. I'm, just from your perspective, I want to know how that all went down. Okay, so we're going back a lot, yeah. right? We're going back to uh, the uh, the 20s and 30s mm-hmm. and 40s. Okay, so communists come to China because it was appealing to a lot of people. So uh, CCP and Mao especially realized that uh, the kind of a classic Marxism they import into China won't work because China... most of them were peasants, landless peasants. And so Mao actually that's what they call it. They made a contribution to Marxism's revolution. So he said, well, okay, so we don't have factory workers to mobilize, but we have peasants. That 90% of the population was in China was was uh, uh, peasantry. So he mobilized them and he promised them. Promised them what? What they want the most, land. So he said, follow me, support my revolution, and when we succeed, you're going to get free land. And that's what really worked for Mao is the peasants' support. So in 1949, he successfully got power, took over China, and right away, <clears throat> he started the uh, on the campaign called land reform because he has to really uh, um, realize the promise he made for the peasants. The land reform was one of the, the most brutal campaigns and he did not just take the land from the landlord and give to the poor peasants. No, no, no. They have to get the land through class struggle. So the peasants were coached to understand this alien concept that they never really understood. And so they were taught the the reason you are poor, not because you are not smart, not because you're lazy. You are poor because the landlord exploited you. Your uh, unhappiness, your misery, your poverty, all because of the uh, the uh, 
the people that were with land. So they started this class struggle, and uh, during the uh, the, uh, the process, two million landlords were executed or killed or brutalized by the peasants. That's how they get the land. And from doing the, that process, and Mao really codified this class um, label for every Chinese. So he uh, had like five categories. If you are landlord, rich peasants, you are the enemy of the state. Mm. If you are middle class peasant or lower middle or proletarian, you are the red class. And that's how Mao really weaponized political identity and divided China into two. And so ever since then, that become the core of the uh, uh, CCP's tactic to keep people divided and keep people fighting each other. So, okay, move forward. Five years later, so that was 1949 to 1951, and then they distributed land to the poor. Five years later, in 1958, six years later, whatever, all the land were taken back by the state through the collective farming uh, campaign called People's Commune Campaign. So there goes, you can get free land from the government, but the government can take it away anytime. So that's what happened during the uh, um, the People's Commune's um, campaign. All the land were taken back by the state and the peasants were told, you're not landless. You are the owner of all the land. Yeah. Everybody owned the same thing. So, you know, and of course they know, they were not that stupid. They know that means nobody owns anything. And it's the state that owns everybody and everything. Well, well, if that sounds familiar to anybody <laughs> yeah. out there, it's kind of mm-hmm. kind of happening now. And you know, it's it's very true. Anything a government gives you, they can take away. Or take it back. That's why yeah. we say, you know, um, the government doesn't grant you rights. I mean, we write documents to recognize natural rights, but the government doesn't have the ability to grant anybody rights. Um, yeah. <clears throat> This thing that you're explaining is at the core of what's been happening in the West since the 1950s, probably here in the, in the U.S., especially in the 1950s. Oh, I thought early before that. And this is something people need to know that a lot of people have this uh, misconception that all this craziness, all this uh, Marxist and communist um, uh, narratives and, and agendas come from China. No, it has been here. Mm. And it has been here uh, since 1919. So the Russian Revolution uh, took place in 1917. Um, CPUSA, um, Communist Party USA, was founded in 1919. And the Communist uh, Chinese Communist Party was founded in 1921. So communism, Marxism, has been here since the beginning. And uh, what we see here now is the, uh, um, the works of the uh, American communists for decades. And so it's no, uh, I guess it should be no surprise then that every social movement that's happened in the United States has adopted a lot of this Marxist ideology over the years, right? I mean, because of it, as you you put, it's very attractive, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. Like the idea of it is attractive to people who are uninitiated, I suppose. Um, yeah. But the civil rights movement and of m- more recently the the 
uh, well, labor movements as well, and more recently, the social justice movement. But it does seem like you break this down really well in the book about Marxist tactics. And I think a lot of people have seen Yuri Bezmenov's kind of breakdown of that whole situation, a former Soviet intelligence officer that kind of explains what their pathway was. But this was just from the 50s or 60s on. But this, you're right, it has been pervasive in the culture since yes. may, maybe even since uh, the late 19th century in the labor movement, because it certainly was in England, right? And in, in, yeah. in the UK, they were there were a lot of communists floating around in the labor movement right before yes. and right after the World War One. At any rate, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, the crux of all this is division, right? It's to, sp- division. It's to split people up into a couple of different groups, maybe hopefully just two groups if you can do that. But if you can have more than two, that works. And then tell, oh, yeah. convince them <laughs> that the other people are evil, whether that, yeah. whether that's true or not, right? So we, we end up like, it reminds me of this, uh, this poem somebody wrote about ants in a jar. I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard of that one as well. But if you mm-hmm. put like black ants and fire ants in a jar together, They'll go about their lives and ignore each other. If you shake the jar, they think the other one attacked them and they'll kill each other, right? Yeah. They, ne- they never they never ask who shook the jar in the first place. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what they have to do. They depend on it. So in China, it's, uh, it's class and that worked. So because Chinese are all the same people, share the same history, same language, so they go by um, class. And here, they tried that too. But that, you know, Bernie Sanders still is the old school Marxist. He's still um, trying to do this uh, 1% versus 99%, um, even though in the process, and he become one of the 5%. So he dropped 5%. He now is says 99 versus 1%. But that really it's not going to work that well so they have to go to other um, they have to find other ways of course race gender sexuality and it goes on and on and on and so now we have uh, anyone who can come up with uh, uh, another identity then they can claim to be the victim what is victim the victim basically is the new proletariat Mm. right and so they are against the other side who were now uh, uh, regarded as the uh, um, the bourgeois or the oppressor. Mm. So this is a whole thing is worked on the uh, the I call the operating system of oppressors mm. versus oppressed. So that's why the the, the uh, students um, or the uh, the leftist uh, activists would go and support Hamas mm. terrorists. Why? Because they operate on the same principle oppressors versus oppressed basically they identify someone as a victim no question asked it's virtuous need their support anyone that they uh, identify as oppressor Mm. evil yeah that's that's uh man that's a really good way to put that the victim is the new proletariat i I haven't heard anybody say that specific phrase before that that makes a lot of sense but the you know the (laughs) the interesting difference this time is during the Cultural Revolution, it was class, right? Because it, there's a homogeny. Everybody's the same race, speak the same language. Um, and then in America, I mean, yeah, class worked a little bit for a while. And then race yeah. worked a little bit for a while, too. But then people stopped caring about that. So we had to mm-hmm. define a new level of victimhood with, like, microaggressions and shit like that. And then, you know, yeah. it, it, it at, of course, this is what happened, but there was so much social currency attached to victimhood because of this uh, operating system, as you call it, 
that people started to dive into their own identity and try to find ways to become a victim, which is completely antithetical to cognitive behavioral therapy, the way that you teach somebody to be a strong, resilient adult human being, right? I mean, this is the opposite of that. Yeah, so they they are in search, uh, they are victims in search of identity. (laughs) And I just watched lately that just past few days in TikTok, there's a lot of uh, uh, young uh, American kids want to become Muslim. And uh, really, seriously, do you think they really understand Islam and they want to really become um, take that as their faith. I think a lot of them just want to be a uh, want to be a victim. So they have uh, hijab, especially for girls. For men, you can't do much. For the girls, they just put hijab and then they become a victim. And uh, so it's just as simple as that. So everyone seems to be uh, searching for identity that they can claim. So they, they become the victim. Once you become the victim, you become the virtuous person and you become the person that, uh, uh you are always right. And, and, and then you'll become the person basically with power. So what's the end state there, I guess, is it just to keep people, I mean, from, from the, uh, I guess from the leadership perspective, um, is it just to keep people why well, I, I, this is my opinion you tell me what you think about this i think it's to keep the lower class angry and distracted and, and to keep whatever you want to call the middle or upper upper class from becoming too powerful right because if people have upward mobility then they challenge the leadership right like if it's the ccp well, they don't really, look look at what they did to uh the guy that owns uh, alibaba right he got yeah, a, he got uh, a little yeah, out of line yeah. talking shit and he yeah. just disappeared for a little while. I'm sure he was at a re-education camp or something, right? And so it's like yeah. they don't want anybody that isn't 100% loyal to the party to become too powerful. So I think it's both of those things at the same time. Yeah, I think mainly what I see it is a, a way to divide people, to constantly divide people and then make basically they want people uh, fight uh, with each other. That is the goal. How do you uh, control a large population? You control by dividing them. And so, and, and you know, in, in Mao's China or in, in CCP's China, they always set um, the majority against a group of minority. They always identify a small group of people and then uh, have the whole uh, majority go against that uh, minority, even though that minority keep changing and anyone can become part of that minority. But here is the opposite. It's a, they set up a minority going against the majority. You know, they, by race and mm. by whatever, it's a small group because America still, even though uh, it's not as strong as before, we still have a middle class. So they are going against the majority. That's, I think, for that reason, they have to desperately always expand their victim group. So now being fat is... Uh, you can identify yourself as uh, um, um, as a victim. Sure. So it, it's just it goes on and on and on. And so anyone anyone can be a victim, and anyone want to be a victim, and that's the problem. Well, how do you think we become more resilient against that? Because it is in the same way that Marxism, generally speaking, throughout the years has been attractive to naive people. This, uh, you know, and, and include with this the social media having a camera pointed at yourself all the time these days, right? I think that definitely helped 
uh, escalate this problem with Marxism. But how do how do we become more resilient against that when it is so attractive for people to dive into their identity and self-select into victimhood like that? Well, that is really, I will use the term that uh, Hillary Clinton used, deprogramming. Of mm. course, she was talking about deprogramming people, re-educating people that she disagree with. But I would say the same thing. We have to deprogramming those people who have been programmed with Marxist ideology. And so um, that's why I wrote my book, is to tell them. And uh, what, you, what you are in, you think you're on the right side, and the uh, Marxists and the communists did the same thing in China, and what is uh, the result of it? And so they don't know because they never learned the history. So I would say that Marxism is uh, attractive to many people for different reasons. There's uh, people that who want free stuff. Mm. Those are the uh, um, LSS customers, right? They want government to take so that um, they can do as little but get as much mm-hmm. other people's stuff. Those are the group. But those are the uh, um, probably not as well-educated, probably um, um, not the, uh, the uh, um, well, just put it, they're not the well-educated. But we see a large group of well-educated um, young people or not young people, they believe in that too. Why? I think that gave them the need to feel virtuous. They feel like if they support the um, um, the uh, the narrative, such as ALCs uh, or the uh, Democratic Party in general, they are helping those who need help. So they become the virtuous one. So a lot of them were attracted to the left ideology because they really feel that's how they become a better person. Hmm. And then there's another group. Those are the real ones they know by supporting that they get power, hmm. such as Yihanoma. Uh, uh, you know, they get power. So I think there's different people attracted to the Marxism and the communist ideology for different reasons. And we have all of them. Yeah, there's a... So <clears throat> I tell people this all the time because a lot of our listeners ask, like, well, how do I, you know, how do I fight back against this? Because it's not like the the problem with the cultural revolution is there's no actual war to fight. It used to be simple, right? Some I, I know, some some dick would come into your area and try to take over your shit and be like, no, nah, we're not doing that. You would literally have a fight with them to decide who gets yeah. to stay there. Now it's like. It seems like like any kind of violence seems like an overreaction to something like this, and maybe it is right. So you have to like you, you have to be more resilient uh, as communities, right? So I, what I tell people is that the best way to prevent stuff like this from happening is one to act more locally, right? When the government shows yes. up, if nobody has their hand out, then there's no power to be had there, right? Because you trade your liberty for security and comfort. Now Ben Franklin warned us about this in the 1770s. And that means that this need to resist, like a, a philosophical, political need to resist, was articulated a hundred years before Marxism. Marxism was even a thing, right? So it isn't like this has always happened through all of human history. Whether it is King John refusing to enforce the Magna Carta and allowing more feudalism, or you know uh, the, the many other examples in Rome and things like that over the years, <clears throat> this isn't a new idea. Like, we know that 
individual liberty and the exercise of it is what in, like protects us from this nonsense, right? But it still seems like there's so many people willing to, for you know, a couple of bucks or not having to worry about where their next meal comes from, will cede their independent authority to anybody that'll come along and give them that stuff, right? And uh, you know, I, it's it's yeah. a, that's wild to me. I, ca- I can't understand how somebody could do that. This episode is brought to you by ghostbed.com forward slash drink it bros. Ghostbed. It's the best bed in the world. It's the most comfortable sheets, pillows, the whole thing. I've got them all, man. And, you know, they wanted to extend their best possible offer to drink it bros. They've been with us for a very long time. So this is the email they sent us. We want drink it bros to get the best offer. So I updated the code for 50% site wide. That's five zero percent. Site-wide, use the code Drinkin' Bros, Drinkin' Bros with no G, for 50% off site-wide. Everything that you buy on this site is going to be 50% off. Again, they get the best pillows, sheets, mattresses. They get the mattress protector uh, if, you're, if you're sloppy and spill things and you don't want to jack up your mattress. They have pretty much everything you need. They've got weighted blankets now. They've got the adjustable base, which we really like. I've got one in my home. So go to ghostbed.com forward slash drink it bros. Use the code drink it bros for 50% off site wide. And don't forget about their page go plan. If you're with approved credit, you're going to be able to pay this thing off over the course of three to five years for 25 to 35 bucks a month. It's nothing. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash drink it bros today and use the code drink it bros for 50% off. This episode is also brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. Dot com the best coffee in the world as a matter of fact they won both the gold and bronze medal at the golden bean awards this year for their exclusive coffee club entries in the elite category so the best coffee on earth literally was circus bear by black rifle one of their ecs so i recommend that you go sign up for the black rifle coffee club use the code citizen you're going to get those points off and uh you know you get all the benefits for being in the coffee club you get the free shipping you get access to all the partner deals uh uh, you get access to the exclusive coffee club you get access to any new products that come out before anybody else does you know it's a very large club that they have over there and the coffees are premium every single one of them is good uh you're going to get experience for you you can do just the plain coffee club and if you want your two bags of of, uh, espresso or your two bags of silencer smooth or whatever it is you drink you can get those two bags or one bag or whatever you want every month or and or rather you can use the ecs the exclusive coffee club and get access to some of the most premium coffees on the planet and kind of learn what it is that you like you know what i mean so then you can order those premium coffees from black rifle as well so and we all know they got the best branding the best merch and their buddies you know we're all friends here uh, we love Black Rifle. So go to BlackRifleCoffee.com, sign up for the coffee club, or buy something. Do whatever you want. Um, use the code CITIZEN. You're going to get those points off. This episode is brought to you by FirstForm.com forward slash CITIZEN. Free shipping on all orders over $75 when you use the link. And you're not going to spend less than 75 bucks. I mean, they get the best products in the world, especially the OptiGreens. You know me. I don't eat vegetables um, because they're fucking pointless. So... I supplement with OptiGreens 50 from First Form. It is precisely formulated green superfood powder meant for overall immune system support and digestive health. It's really good, aside from just getting the daily greens into your body that you need. And make sure, by the way, you're taking this with MCT because you have to take anything like this with MCT. 80% of your immune system is located in your gut. 
and your digestive tract, right? So healthy digestion is essential for overall health and wellness, not to mention that most of your serotonin, I think 96% of your serotonin or 94% is made in your gut as well. So you're going to be in a better mood. You're going to feel better physically and you're going to feel better mentally if you are taking these greens. OptiGreen 50 has 50 chosen ingredients, uh, effectively dosed. It's not necessarily how many ingredients there are, though, but it's, a, it's about the right amount of each. Taste and texture, no, like no other product in the market. It's not gritty. It doesn't have a weird flavor. It's got sweet berry flavors, actually. 100% uh, of the greens are all grown and manufactured inside the United States, and they are bioavailable. Now, they've got other products as well. They've got the Microfactor, which you see behind me on every show, uh, and I take them every day. You know, you got essential fatty acids, CoQ10, you get all the stuff you need in one little packet for your daily vitamin pack. And you mix that, you, you make yourself uh, OptiGreens 50 shake, and you, and you take those pills with it, and you're going to improve your life precipitously. You're going to feel better, you're going to look better, so on and so forth. So go to firstform.com, that's 1-S-T-P-H-O-R-M.com forward slash citizen, use the code you're going to get free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. I think one of the ways to wake those people up, to deprogram them, is to teach them real history. Okay, so the real history of communism, there are plenty, plenty of lessons. Okay, so I will just do uh, uh, tell the stories mm -hmm. of uh, what happened in China. Look at those peasants, right? They believed that they can get the free stuff if they help Mao and the CCP to win the the, uh, um, the revolution. And they did. They got uh, free land for what? For five, six years? And then all the land were taken away. Not, it did not stop there. And then the Mao, through Mao's great leap forward, um, disastrous policy, up to 50 million of those peasants died of starvation. So this happened in all communist countries. Those people want free stuff. They all end up with nothing. And a lot of them lost their lives. It happened in Soviet Union. It happened in China. It happened in Cambodia. Okay, so that is what happened. So if you know history, you will understand. You may have some free stuff in the beginning. Eventually, you end up have nothing. Okay, for the second group of people, those are the virtuous people, right? They mm. want to support the revolution because they think they're helping the poor. And, that, and, and there are plenty of uh, uh, history lessons to uh, uh, regard what happened to those people. Those people become the problem of the new regime because they were kind of like true believers. Mm. They kind of believe what they're doing is to help the, po the poor or to help the, uh, the, uh, the weak. They were the first one to go that the new regime would not tolerate them because they take their, their cause too seriously. Those people need to be eliminated. That's what happened in China. Those yeah. intellectuals joined the revolution and they become the target. And they were the ones who were sent to the gulags or prison or graves. Mm. So, and only those that are in, in power and eventually get power but that's not it, mm. because eventually they're going to fight over each other because the power they got is through, is through what? It's really through um, the uh, um, very, very evil um, tactics by deception, by violence. So eventually they're going to fight each other. 
So what happened in uh, in in uh, um, in China is that the number two figure of CCP, President Liu Shaoqi, was persecuted to death by Chairman Mao. Why? Because Chairman Mao or uh, regarded him as a threat. So this is going to end up bad for everybody. For those who want to free stop, for those who want to become virtuous, or for those who want power, they all end up bad. The only winner will be the most ruthless person. And um, and eventually, that, like Stalin, like Mao, they always worry about being assassinated. They will never live in peace. And that is, uh, that is the story of communism, in short. Yeah, I mean, they... It... You, you mentioned uh, Russia as well. Um, Stalin was pretty well known for any any leader in his inner circle that got too powerful amongst the people. Oh, yeah. He would just have them executed, right? And Saddam Hussein exactly. did that shit too in, in Iraq exactly. for years. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you, I think Putin does that today, right? If if anytime anybody that's critical, too successful yeah. in Russia, or mm-hmm. critical of uh, the Russian regime gets uh they just fall out of windows miraculously now it's it's yeah. it's like all right we know what's going on there people have absolutely need to know the history and so um if when they understand what communism is really about they will really wake up and say the uh the the, the communist as i explained is really about control it's really uh, about totalitarianism because the government grant you the, uh, the the rights, whatever that right, you can do this, but you cannot do that. And that is the absolutely the opposite of what this country was uh, uh, built on. I know our founders were the first one to uh, build this country on the principle that our rights are not from the government, but from our creator. Mm. And this is a concept that is foreign to millions hundreds of millions of Chinese, because that's not in our uh, tradition. Mm-hmm. That is not in the many, many of the faith tradition. It is exclusively coming from Christianity. Mm. Well, we had that problem in Iraq as well when I was over there, trying to explain the concept of just self-identity, stuff that isn't directly involved either with religion through Islam or the state specifically, right? Like yeah. uh, this idea, especially when they started voting, like their idea of voting was, um, well, this guy is the most powerful. So we just go and vote for him. And that's why, like, people say that Saddam cheated on the elections because he was getting like 98 percent of the vote. I don't think that's true. I think they were so fucking brainwashed that yeah. they were like, oh, he's the most powerful guy. That's who you vote for. Right. That's how they understood uh, the political system. And then we show up a bunch of blue-eyed white dudes is like, hey, democracy. And they're like, we don't know what the fuck that means. You know what I mean? That not, and it wasn't not in a rude way. They just had no concept of that. So we that were, we were a, extremely a, naive. Yeah, that's absolutely the truth. And to have a republic like uh, United States, you have to have the soil. Where is that soil? The soil is those, um, the tradition, the, uh, the, the belief system. And when it's not there, you can't just export um, the so-called democracy to uh, to a place like China. Even today, people just don't understand. The people still believe in all their power mm. is uh, granted to them by their government. 
that's uh, that's really sad, you know. And I, it's you know what will be interesting is I don't think it really took hold in Iraq that much, but in, in Afghanistan, those folks got a taste of uh, like individual liberty that I don't think they've ever had before, and I think it's going to get rocky there if the Taliban continues. You can, it's hard to unring that bell when somebody understands that there's the possibility that through their own action they can become successful and not just because of some external entity. It's hard to unring that bell, you know, downstream. But we need to ring the bell here mm. for those indoctrinated people that if you let go and if you let uh, go our liber- uh, liberty and freedom and you think that the government should be the one to shut this person up, to shut that person up, you will be the next. And that's something that people just don't understand. Yeah, there's a famous poem about that, right? First they came for the socialists, and I was in the socialist, so I didn't stand up. Yes. And then they came for the labor unions, and I wasn't a labor union person, so I didn't stand up. Then they came for the Jews, and I wasn't a Jew, and then they didn't stand up. And then they came for me, and there was nobody left to stand up, right? It, it will it, come it, to everybody. Yeah, it always yes. happens that way. I don't know why. Uh, yeah. what, what did Churchill say? Uh, uh, appeasement is feeding the crocodile, hoping he eats you last. You know what I mean? Like when you see, you you wouldn't treat a fire that way. If your neighbor's house was on fire, you wouldn't look outside and be like, ah, fuck it. You know, that's his problem. I mean, even if you had no empathy whatsoever, a reasonable, logical person would look at that and be like, that could spread to my house too. I better go do something about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I I believe that uh, um, the most important thing right now is to uh, wake up uh, the conservatives not to say the uh, um, the liberals, because the conservatives, not all of them understand what is uh, uh, really going on and what is the nature of woke and wokeism. It is Marxism, it is communism. And uh, only when people uh, really, really understand can they fight back um, effectively. You can't really fight back something that you don't quite understand. Mm. Even today, I see so many conservatives still thinking they are dealing with uh, the old Democrats going kind of crazy. No, it is where what we're dealing with is communism. Democratic Party has been uh, infiltrated and hijacked. Now it is a communist party. Now, you've got some very practical experience with this uh, that a lot of our uh, listeners will be familiar with. You were, um, uh, you, you, uh, your, your political career, if you want to call it that, kind of began with a speech at the uh, uh, political activism career, excuse me, began with a speech at the Loudoun County School Board, which we all know mm-hmm. uh, is the reason they, that McAuliffe didn't win the governorship because of all the weird shit they were doing there and the it, critical race theory, DEI, so on and so forth. How did you get involved in that? And what was the message you gave to the, cause I, you were right. It, I think it was in, what was that? 2021. I think that was in 2021. Yeah, they, yes. Like, I don't think that the broader public had any idea that in schools, not, not in like Massachusetts or New York or California, but in Texas and, and in Vir- Texas and in Florida. Virginia and Florida and yeah. red state, like historically red states, this stuff is going on. So you you were starting from ground zero, and I don't think people had any idea what was going on. And then when they saw it, they were like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. But how did you get involved in that? Yes, this is uh, uh, 2020 is really the turning point for me, even though I have noticed things for a while. Excuse me. I noticed like a political correctness, the division that they sold among the American people and the race 
the race war they rage, uh, they rage. Um, but it's 2020. When I uh, when I saw the um, the riots and uh, the burnings and then the uh, the looting and everything, and I just um, well, there was no mistake for me. That was cultural revolution. Mm. That was what I ex uh, uh, experienced and witnessed uh, growing up uh, in China and um, um, in the cultural revolution. So that was the time. I really, really, really feel like I could not sit sit back and just just complain. And so that's in a, uh, um, I think in the fall of 2020, I joined the uh, local uh, Republican um, committee and the local conservative groups. And uh, during that time of 2020, we also get to see what was really taught in, uh, in our school. The first video came out actually about their they they are teaching uh, um, critical race theory it was also from Loudoun County. Mm -hmm. and, and this history teacher asked uh, a student through a Zoom, and the, the 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 kid was so smart he recorded it. So this is a black student, and the teacher asked him to identify a picture and describe a picture of two girls, one black and one white. He said two girls. And the, the, the teacher tried to guide him, said, no, give me a break. What did you see? It's a black girl and a white girl. And that went viral. And so now we see for the first time that through Zoom, what has been taught yeah. to our kids. Yeah, and not, that, that's the reason. Not just what they were teaching, but the super sneaky way that they were doing it. Because exactly. it wasn't in social studies or, or uh, you know, a history class of some other sort where they were like, here's all the oppression that's happened over the years and why you as a white person should feel guilty. No, they were inserting it into like math word problems and shit like everything. That. They can, they can talk about pizza and then they talk yeah. about race, critical race theory. So anyway, that's uh, when I just decided that I have to do something. So I went to the school board and so I said what I said and I compare um, the CRT to the Cultural Revolution. And um, so I thought I just did what I need to do uh, to, um, you know, be an activist in my own uh, county. And I had no idea that it went viral. Yeah. And then I found I found myself on the uh, spotlight, national spotlight, and then become an accidental activist. And I have been active since then. And in 2020, uh, 2022, um, I finally decided I, I need to write a book. So I quit my job in uh, March of 2022 and spent the whole year um, writing this book. And uh, so now I've become a full-time activist. My mission is to, tell, uh, to um, really educate American people and to tell them the history that they never learned and then tell them that it is history repeating right mm. here in America. Yeah, a big part of this, by the way, uh, and this was the case, um, th this has been the case for a long time, but uh, weaponizing youth against the public. And I think it does two things. One, it's like the same reason that, you know, companies advertise to kids to make a lifelong customer, right? So you get them before they, they're able to create a sophisticated like mental defense against this stupid ideology, but also because young people have 
once they come into their own as young adults, they have a real, they, they apply a lot of pressure to the older generation to, to develop these people that you call like philosophers and, and, and educators and things like this who think they're doing the right thing. Uh, but that, that would be what, you know, Marxism would call a useful idiot, right? Essentially. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> how, I wonder because there, there was no social media back then and the education system was already controlled entirely by the state in China back then. But how did, what, what are the parallels? Like how is it similar the way that America's youth is being used and weaponized right now versus how it was back then? Or is it, is it pretty much the same? Yeah. It, yeah. I detailed that in my book mm. and uh, the, uh, the cultural revolution in China was a youth movement mm. and the same here in America, the woke and revolution is mainly a youth revolution. How come? Because it's used as the easiest um, uh, um, group to mobilize because they have been indoctrinated. They all come from the same source, government schools. They have been indoctrinated ever since they they, they entered the system. They, they, the system has one purpose. It's not to educate the young people to become um, uh, responsible, successful individuals. They have been trained to think as a group. They have been trained to become the future activists. In China, they, they were being trained as future revolutionaries. So when Mao wanted to launch his revolution, uh, he did not have to use his army because uh, that is not this, the goal is not to uh, use violence. The goal is to use the youth. Mm. And so he had uh, tens of millions of young people and uh, following his order and uh, destroy everything. And that's the Chinese Red Guards. And now we have them here. We have Americans Red Guards. Those are the uh, the BMMs, the uh, Antifa, the social justice warriors. They are, they, you can see them everywhere. You can see them in school, college campuses, on the streets, you know, corporations. They are everywhere because they come from the same place. Government controlled schools and the Marxist controlled universities. Hmm. So, you know, it started with the universities back in the day with America. And when I say back in the day, to your point from before, it wasn't the 50s and 60s. It was the 1920s when this started in the American university yes. system, right? Yes. Yes. So it's, it's, mm -hmm. it, it predates what we think of as the the Red Scare and, and the McCarthy area era by quite a bit. It's been going on for the night, the 18 to 22 year old for a very long time. Yes. And, and those are the people that no longer young. Those yeah, are people yeah. now in control of our institutions. Yep. Yeah. And it's, but it didn't have the same effect until they got into the, uh, the primary schools until they started very young with this stuff. Yes. Like there, there a certain percentage of people were captured by this stuff for a small amount of time, right? And it kind of uh, goes into to Churchill's maxim about if you're young and conservative, you have no heart. If you're old and liberal, you have no mind, right? Or have no brain or whatever. Um, people, for the most part, in the boomer generation kind of grew out of that nonsense. When they started having to pay taxes, for example, right? They're like, yeah. man, I don't want to pay all these taxes. But these days, and it was, you it's know, changed. It's, it's a brilliant it's move no to start younger, that. right? It's a brilliant move to yeah. start it in adolescence because then by the time they're in universities, all you're doing is reinforcing what they've been hearing for the last 12 to 15 years, right? Yeah, I have to say before, 
what you describe is the uh, the old wisdom, right? Because they were taught, you know, they need to help the poor, they need to help the marginalized people. Not today. They were taught that you dis they need to destroy this system. They need to overthrow the uh, the foundation of this country. It totally changed in nature. So today, and uh, what they're taught is no longer what you were taught when you were young. So we are really dealing with a Marxist revolution. So I tell everybody, wake up. We are in the midst of a war reached to us and the uh, the goal is not to um, improve this, help that. The goal is singular, to destroy this country, burn it to the ground, and then build back, not better, but build back totalitarian. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it seems really obvious. The key, the, the words they use these days, uh, maybe they were more subtle back in the day, but the words they use now... Um, like destroy the patriarchy, which is just code. Yeah, it's just yeah. code. Destroy yeah. the pa patriarchy is code uh, for destroy America. Uh, and then, you know, we're even worse is this idea of decolonization. That just means yeah. murder. That just means killing yeah. the people that are in a certain place to get them out of power. That's what that means. Yeah. So we're yeah. using yeah. these euphemisms now, but I don't know how much longer will be using euphemisms because it seems like leftists are becoming more and more violent and not, not just are not just are they becoming more and more violent or at least in practice, but they're becoming more and more accusatory trying Open. to make it seem like conservatives are the real violence. Right. It's, yeah. it's a, it's yes. a very yes. smart move to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I really um, hope that my book will wake up a lot of people. And uh, again, I say the same thing again, when you know history, you can understand the present. If you don't, you, you basically, if you don't know history, no matter how old you are, you are basically born yesterday because you have no clue what happened before. And you, you have no clue that history is being repeated. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, what's the old phrase? Uh, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it, right? Yes, um, yes. Now, Boy, I, I like the idea of educating people. We're getting a lot of resistance from that. People are pretty entrenched in their positions right now. And it's, it's, I, okay. I think, I think, I know. yeah, yeah. So uh, I, from your perspective, because this is what you do, I want to know like some, like for the everyday person out there who has kids, who works in a workplace, who has to deal with this shit or whose kids are in college or something, or who's, who they are, a lot of them are in college or they work in, I mean, even the military is pulling a lot of this bullshit lately. So I mm -hmm. wonder from your yeah. perspective, like how do you how do you see people handling that to push back? You know what I, you know what I mean in a way that uh, makes sense to defeat this nonsense. Well, a lot of people still want to just uh, ignore it and say just mind their own business, but they can't ignore it. It happened everywhere. It happened in their workplace. That happened in their children's school. And then the children come home and remember during 2020, the kids come back to school and demand their their parents to donate for BMM. If not, then they are racist. So they brought all this back to your home. And also in your workplace, if you were um, you were white, you were condemned as uh, um, having white privilege. And then you see your kids, like uh, Asians, they have been like, a, most of them not politically mm. involved. And then they see that their kids could not go to uh, Ivy League schools or 
good um, prestigious high schools or whatever because they are Asian and they are the uh, uh, white adjacent. So all this happening to them. And that's how they started to wake up because it really get to them rather than over there, you know? So in the process, I, I think um, that they, they will understand that uh, there's something wrong with the uh, the left and what they are mm. pushing. And But my book, I really, at this point, I think if I can wake up all the conservatives, mm. it will be a huge success because when conservatives understand it, then we can really, really uh, fight back effectively. Now, you know, we, we, we get discouraged, but the, uh, the uh, conservative is just not very organized, not very uh, um, firm in their uh, pushback of the, uh, uh, of the left. I think a lot of them just really have no idea. They are fighting against communists. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's look at how many people, uh, for example, um, allowed lockdowns, allowed vaccinations that they didn't agree with, and they did that just to keep their job or their status or exactly. whatever it is, right? Yeah, like that. You can't. That can't be the case. This is what it's. I've talked about this on the show before, but this idea of passive resistance from the civil rights movement—that's not what it was. It's an old Indian Hindu principle called satyagraha, right? And what it means is I'm going to do the right thing and accept the consequences no matter what they are. Now, yeah. as an individual, that can be difficult because the weight of the government can come down hard on you, right? But as a group, like the more people who are saying no, the more resounding and effective it is. Yes. And that, that is what, yes. from my perspective, I think that's the most important thing people can do right now. One, like you said, be educated about this stuff in a way that's meaningful. But two, have the courage to, you know, stand arm in arm and look at the government and say no. Right. Or, or institutions yeah. or whomever it is trying to push this nonsense. It isn't always from the government. There's NGOs that do this stuff, educators, things like that. But it is this force. Yeah. This is, you know, it's not just from uh, it, not just from top, from everywhere, mm -hmm. from left and the right. And uh, yes, it is this ideology that's so infiltrated um, this country that there's so many people that have been indoctrinated for decades. And then it's we're really fighting this world view you know they, they they look at through things through what uh, i call marxist lens and so we're we're really talking uh, fighting something that is uh, in people's mind and it's not easy it's not easy because we let that happen for decades mm -hmm. now we're dealing with uh, the result so it won't be easy but as long as we understand what we're dealing with if you don't push back now we are really giving up our liberty and our freedom. And we live in a totalitarian um, state. And you have no right. You can't. You, you have no right to free speech. You have no right to, to, web, uh, to, uh, to arm yourself. You become a slave. Yeah, I like that you use the word force because in, uh, in Hindi, Satyagraha literally means truth force, right? It's the force of truth. Mm -hmm. It's the power that truth has. That, that's, that's what it means. And I equate it to the, the balance between gravity and nuclear fission in a star. So gravity's pushing this thing together, right? All these hydrogen and helium atoms together, they're fusing together. They're having huge bursts of energy. And the only thing that holds that thing together is gravity, but it's a balance, right? There's always going to be predators in the world. There's always going to be struggles for power. There's always going to be external tormentors. There's always going to be internal threats. 
the thing that protects us from that is resilience. And there is no resilience without truth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, yeah, it's, a, it's a really, a, right now, we engage a, a war between evil, good and evil, really. Truth and lies. Well, I hope that I'm on the side of the truth. I feel like I am, and I know you are. Uh, your book you are. is called. We are. I, we are. I, I, I know we are. Uh, your book is called Mao's America: A Survivor's Warning, and it's all about the history of the Cultural Revolution and how it's basically playing out in the not basically how it is playing out in the oh, United States yeah. right now. Not just the United <laughs> yeah, States and other Western countries as well, but we're talking about the United States here. You can buy yeah. this book on Amazon. Um, there's an audio book. So if you look, if you're an audible person as well, um, I highly recommend you guys go out and purchase this. Um, it is, if you want to understand the attack that's happening on our country and on Western civilization and how it's been happening for a very long time, how it's happened before and how it's played out in other countries and why we have to fight this, you need to read this book. So it's Mal's America, a survivor's warning by, uh, 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 one of my favorite authors lately. This is one of the best books I've written, read in a long time because it's the book is good, obviously, but the it, it's so on time. Like we need this right now. So I appreciate you writing this, and I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. And tell everybody where they can find you another place. You're on Twitter and stuff like that too. Right? I'm on Twitter. Please follow me because I tweet almost every day, and my tweet is full of parallels because that's what I do. Tell people. This is history repeating. So my mm. um, X handle is uh, X. It's my name. X <laughs> X V A N F L E E T. Yeah, I like that. Uh, the parallels. That's it's. There's a reason Jesus spoke in parables, right? It's because it's yes. easier to understand. You you you, yes. you you get the idea, and then you can map it onto other stuff and see stuff better. Yes. So definitely give her a follow as well. And uh, look, thank you very much for coming today. I very, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. And thank you all for listening. This has been Citizen. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.